This is Heart of the Enneagram with Sandra Smith and Chris Copeland. Join us as we explore the depth and complexity of the Enneagram system. figured out that we're not perfect. We're never going to reach that mark that we so desperately want. It's never going to happen. So as we become free from that, we can help free other people that are then struggling with that and say, let me just help you love yourself because it's never going to happen that you're going to love yourself because you're perfect. So you might as well love yourself when you're imperfect. Hi, Sandra. Good to see you again. Chris, it's good to see you too, and I'm excited about season six on leadership. We're focusing on the nine types in leadership positions, their strengths and their challenges, and what is best practice for each of the nine types in leadership roles. Yeah, and to help us uh, do that work today, we are excited to have our guest, Mickey Scott Bay Jones. And Mickey is called the Justice Doula, and she accompanies people as they birth more love, justice, and shalom in our world. And as a womanist and faith-rooted contemplative activist, movement chaplain, and nonviolence practitioner, Mickey supports students, clergy, activists, and everyday leaders in a variety of roles. She's a speaker, a writer, facilitator, and a pilgrimage guide and teacher. She's the Director of Resilience and Healing Initiatives with Faith Matters Network, known for the People's Supper, which gathered more than 10,000 people around tables after the 2016 U.S. election for bridging and healing conversations. Mickey is the founder of Faith Matters Network's Daring Compassion Movement Chaplaincy Project, which has already trained hundreds of people in accompaniment, healing and resilience building in social change movements. Mickey earned an MA in Intercultural Studies and is a trained and certified Enneagram teacher. And she is featured in two multi-authored books, Becoming Like Creoles, Living and Leading at the Intersections of Injustice, Culture, and Religion, and Keep Watch With Me, an Advent Reader for Peacemakers. Mickey, welcome. We're so glad you're with us today. Thank you. It's great to be with y'all. Yes. I add my welcome to Chris as I'm excited um, to be with you in this conversation, Mickey. So as we continue, let's engage in a brief presence practice. Um, just taking a couple deep breaths, finding our feet on the floor, and bringing forth a grounding in our bodies so that our heart can open more fully and that we listen to one another with a curious mind. May it be so. So Mickey, when you were first learning the Enneagram what were the indicators that you lead with type one? How did that come about? Hmm. Well, the interesting thing about finding my way to my type is that I actually mistyped myself first. And that was partially because other people were mistyping me. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with gender and race um, and the intersections there. But I thought I was an eight. And everyone around me was telling me I was an eight because here I am, a leader, a forceful woman, a forceful black woman. And uh, I spoke my mind. Um, if I walked into a room, I was known. And so people just assumed that I was an eight. 
And it was actually reading um, in Richard Rohr's Enneagram book, um, reading that and starting to read about the one and really actually switching from behaviors to motivations. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and, and, lear- and reading about the inner critic and starting to understand what was happening inside of me that was leading to the outward behaviors. And that is when it clicked. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I'm in the right triad. Fantastic. We're there. But I am definitely, I definitely lead with the one. And that shifted everything. And it really just, the pieces that didn't quite fit, you know, with kind of identifying with that type eight, really clicked into place when I compared those types, because I had kind of done what a lot of people do. You know, you, you, you uh, are told you're a type, so you only read the, the, you know, the part in the book that's about that type. So I really only read about eights mm-hmm. and only talked about eights. So I just didn't even know that I could be off a little bit. And so it was really, yeah, it was helpful to open myself up to the possibility that I, maybe I was off a little bit. And when I did, um, and really, because my inner critic is so, so, so strong um, that that was a key indicator that actually, let me just shift over a little bit in that in that uh, anger triad to the one. You mentioned, Mickey, and I appreciate this naming gender and race in particular around discerning, understanding type. This is yeah. something I'm really passionate about. And as I teach the Enneagram, I'm always talking about cultural impacts on how one understands oneself and how others perceive one, and I'm curious what your experience, thoughts, journey has been about that. Yeah, I think, you know, first coming to the Enneagram, in particular in where I was in my life, like a lot of people, I just saw it as kind of a neutral tool. You know, I just, oh, it's just this thing that you learn about and, and it applies to everyone across the board in the same way. And it's, and we don't, there's no cultural overlay, but you know, who our teachers are matters and where, and who they've been taught by matters. Um, and so I'm very into lineage now and knowing who, you know, if I'm going to be working with someone um, as a professional, I want to know what, what school they come from, right? Who their teachers have been, who they've read. Um, and I do think that, that that impacts, just like in theology, right? You know, the, where the theology comes from and where that person comes from doing the theology comes from matters. Um, and so that's definitely an area that is deeply meaningful to me. And I love that so many people are thinking about this um, when it comes to Enneagram teaching and work now. Um, I think we're just at the very you know, beginning of that exploration, but um, there, are, there are so many folks that are doing that now. I have kind of a little crew of, of Enneagram teachers and um, enthusiasts that I run with that we all met at the uh, IEA conference and we have this group thread. <laughs> And it's all like, um, it, most of us are Enneagram teachers of color and, um, and queer folks. And so we're able to kind of have those kind of conversations together and then figure out, okay, now how do we incorporate that into our teaching and even talk to other people about it? Um, but I didn't, I just, I even didn't realize at first how, um, how I could be mistyped how assumptions might be made about me, um, how even my motivations might be seen as different because of my race and gender and sexuality. And so now I feel like I can explore all of that. Not that it's going to reveal a different type, 
but that it's going to help me kind of understand um, a little bit more about myself and what I might, how I might be trying to skew things to fit in, right? So then I can really continue to do the deep inner work of of getting to those motivations. I mean, I, I feel like I say it all the time, motivation, motivation, motivation. I'm just always trying to get people and even myself to, to do that deep inner work. So it's not just about these outward behaviors that we can see and judge each other by, um, or even judge ourselves by, because again, going back to that inner critic, I'm so harsh on myself that I want to go back and, and think about even is some of that coming from white supremacy? Is some of that coming from, you know, these other voices? Like, how do I actually get back to my true self? How do I continue to uncover her so that I can honor her, you know, and kind of, and, and know myself better? Yeah, I thank you. I appreciate that so much. Um, I often will talk about motivation is the thing that, as Enneagram has been taught, if we can get to that deeper motivation, that's what is consistent across all kinds of diverse contexts. But behavior is what is shifts and changes based on all kinds of things, family system, what's, what's privileged, what's oppressed. I mean, all of that impacts the behavior and how it gets expressed. But if we can do that inner work, as you name, to get at motivation, that's our freedom. That's the source of our freedom, I think. We'll talk about Mickey, if you're willing, um, kind of how the one has shown up for you as a leader. Like what are some of the gifts that you brought to leadership as a type one? Uh, what are some places that you've been challenged by or got you into trouble a little bit maybe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, wow. Yeah, there have been definitely a lot of lessons over the years and working with different types. Um, in my organization now, I, um, Anytime we have someone new come in, I offer to type them um, or to do a typing interview with them um, as part of kind of their onboarding. Um, and so it's really fun helping people discover their type. Um, it's helpful to know that as a team. Um, and so it's, it's fun to get to do that. Um, and so I, I do try to um, use that information so that I can do better, right? Because I'm always looking for how I can do better, um, <laughs> how I can, you know, interact with them in the right way. So it's helpful for me to know um, what their type is. <laughs> so uh, I also feel like um, I have had to really learn to give myself grace um, because I kind of live in, I can live in this constant fear of letting my team down or of not doing things right, of not doing things good enough, of um, not doing enough, not pulling my weight is, you know, another kind of thing that the, um, you know, the, the inner critic tries to whisper in my ear, um, you're, you're not pulling your weight or mm. if, if I do something wrong, then it's like, okay, now they're going to get rid of you. This is, you can't like, this is enough. Um, and I, I mean, and I'm essentially a, like, oh, our structure is really interesting, but um, I'm, I'm a co-owner in the business. <laughs> it's not, not even that easy to get rid of me, but I still have that, right? I have that fear. Um, and so doing my work around those fears actually being able to talk to myself about my strengths, about what I do well, 
um, a mantra for me is, is staying in my lane, you know, like stay in your lane. I, like, because I can do a lot of things. Um, I think because those who lead with a type one, we can, you know, we're so interested in doing things right and doing things well. I can research something for a little bit and I can pull it off. I can do a lot of things and do them, you know, better than average. But do I want to and need to do all the things, you know? And so really um, uh, structuring my leadership so that I'm hiring other folks or, or um, working with other folks, collaborating in ways that I don't have to do it all because I don't, I'm not the only one who can do it right, quote unquote. Um, so it's, you know, there are, I think I bring a lot of strengths as far as I'm, I'm always going to strive for excellence. Um, and I'm going to do the best that I can. And also what I'm leaning into more is, is learning what the best is of what other people to offer have to offer is, and then um, nurturing that and also accepting that um, even though it may look different than what my best is. Mika, you bring up uh, one of those strong inner narratives, false inner narratives for type one. I'm not pulling my weight and I need to be responsible here. And then the inner critic, which then uh, brings that forward in you and you start feeling guilty as ones do. I'm curious, um, and I loved what you said about some of the strategies you speak to yourself, you're growing grace for yourself through mantras and, and positive self-talk. When others aren't pulling their weight, how do you navigate that and your inner critic? Hmm. Well, you know, I have a lot of grace for other people. Um, you know, what's interesting to me, a lot of times I feel like the stereotypes of uh, type ones is that, um, it, that we're hypercritical of other people. One of my least favorite ones is like, we rearrange the dishwasher after somebody else put it in. I'm like, I don't rearrange the dishwasher. I don't talk to that. Like, you know, <laughs> exactly. Like, Who do these people? you know, like your closet is color coded. I'm like, no, actually it's really not. Um, so I, I am, I, I am the type, type of type one that my focus of organization or like restoring rightness is about the world. Right. So I'm interested in ideas and about like restoring, you know, the world and that kind of thing, not like is the dishwasher you know, are the bowls all in the right place? You know, like, so I get really frustrated with that kind of thing that like, oh, I'm always gonna be nitpicking everybody else. I have a tremendous amount of grace for other people. I think what happens is I have like that low simmering frustration and anger with people. Mm -hmm. And so if I start to notice that, like a team member is not, like I feel like they're not doing what they need to do. Um, I tend to check in with folks because at this point for me, I, you know, I, I feel like most people are doing the best they can with what they have. Um, 
and on my on my best days when the when the inner critic is is riding along but not driving which is how my therapist put it she was like she can be there it's not that we want her to go away she's trying to help but she your inner critic she doesn't get to drive she just gets to sit in the back seat and hang out but if she gets too loud you know like but she can sit there with her seatbelt on, just chill out. That's right. And so, right. So I, I, I really do feel like most people are doing the best they can with what they have. And if they're not, let's find out why not. So I, you know, we'll check in with somebody and just, okay, what's, what's going on? Like I try to get to it before it gets to a point where I feel like I'm going to explode. Like I'm going to go off. Um, and if somebody else, and, and I don't immediately then, assume I've got to pull the, you know, pull the weight that I've got to do the work. Okay. So let's see who else on the team can do this. Right. I can't get the social media post up this week. And the person who was supposed to handle it, it's become too much for them. Okay. Now who can handle it? And, you know, I don't just assume I've now got to take, take this on, which would have been my posture in the past. And so it's that kind of thing of like, okay, now I've grown to have different strategies so that I can have, I still need to have margin. I need to have a lot of margin in my days and my weeks in order to function, in order to process all these big emotions. Um, because I think we forget that, that this body triad has so many big emotions inside mm-hmm. of our bodies, right. <laughs> which is why we need to move them. Right. And, you know, so it's that constant, like staying, staying in, in conversation with myself about it. There's a lot in what you just offered. Very rich. rich. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The last um, comment on margin, offering yourself a lot of margin during your workday as a type that is driven, you know, ones are a driven task oriented type and you get on to the next really fast and you complete the project or the task to offer yourself margin is one of those acts of grace, I would think, where it's an act of kindness to yourself. And then I also heard you say, Mickey, that was just so beautiful, that um, instead of going with the superego idea of I'm the responsible adult here, I'll do this, you're empowering others and trusting that others can do it. And again, setting a boundary. And as you said, staying in my lane. I really love that. Thank you for offering that. Yeah, and I uh, I'll offer too. Just appreciating you naming what I call the the countering the memification. <laughs> I'll use that word uh, of enneagram types. You know, the sort of dishwasher, the whatever. But but recognizing what you named early on around motivation is that is desire to reform and improve. And and the other word that came up for me was order. And like I want things to be right and ordered. But for you, the orientation is to the world different ones, it's going to be toward different things. And so I appreciate you naming the complexity of that. Um, The other thing that you, I wanted to sort of follow up on is sort of like you said, this has sort of shifted for you in terms of your ability to sort of um, uh, address the the low simmering um, frustration. Uh, And in the past, that might've been harder for you. Can you talk about what, how that shifted or what supported you in that? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, it's just admitting it. <laughs> I think there's so much shame around anger for me. And I think culturally we have that as well, but I can have so much shame around feeling anger. 
Um, and so I try not to feel it. Um, so I feel like even every time I talk about that low simmering anger or low simmering frustration, um, cause it's like, it's just like, there's a buzz of it. I mean, I've told, I've told my partner this. I'm like, I just understand it's always there. It's not you. <laughs> it's not, it's basically the world. There is the world is wrong and it's just, I'm just angry about it at all times. I'm not so angry that I'm going to like, that I'm constantly yelling just to myself in the house, but I'm, it's there and just understand that it's there. Yes. And so sometimes one more thing piles on and guess what? That's it. That's all I can say. So, you know, I just feel like that I can admit that helps me to deal with it instead of constantly be angry at myself for being, for having that low simmering buzz in the background, right? So that for growth for me has meant not getting rid of it, but just being able to acknowledge it. And then again, being able to acknowledge that it comes from a good place, like the motivation or the, like the thing that's really behind it is that I want the world to be a good place. I want it. I want things to be set right. You know, and I want, you know, shalom. I, that's, and that we don't have it. And I'm, uh, I'm upset about that all the time. And so, you know, how do we, how do I deal with that? Knowing that I, there's, you know, yes, there are little things I can do about it. And I, like my life is dedicated to doing something about it, but it's not my job to solve all of it right now, today. And the next thing that I do, that's where I, you know, am able to find peace and I'm able to do the thing that I need to do. I'm able to stay, stay in my lane and do my thing, but my job is not to solve all of it. Well, and you just, you know, what we fight, we strengthen. And so in a way you just disabled. Um, and by accepting that you have an underlying resentment, uh, body types eight, nine, and one, I call them fairness oriented. Mm -hmm. And you know, ones are looking at what's fair and unfair and a constancy of that will, will deny our joy. Yeah. And so you, I'm hearing you say that you set a boundary on that. So it's just a great marker here and a good behind the scenes look as you articulate type one, that ones have an underlying resentment that they may or may not act on and that accepting that rather than fighting it Mm -hmm. is the path forward. Mickey, you've said many things. Uh, you've made many comments about things you've learned along the way. And uh, Chris and I often ask, well, you know, a younger version of yourself, what do you wish you had known back in the day that you know now? And you've, you've mentioned many of those, but is there anything else you want to offer? Um, some wisdom that you know now that's related to type one that you wish you had yeah. known earlier um, that might help others? I think maybe this is more of a general Enneagram thing, but it also could very much be related to, to uh, type ones who are kind of stuck, I guess, right? Um, is one of the most freeing things for me is just realizing that not everybody has the same things happening inside of them that are happening inside of me, right? I have a particular way of, of understanding the world, of seeing things, 
Um, and I think particularly for, for those that lead with a type one, like because ours is based in fairness and rightness and goodness, that it can feel universal or can feel like why I don't, I don't understand why everyone doesn't see it this way. Mm. Um, like this is just the right thing. I don't understand why they aren't getting it. Um, and the Enneagram in total and learning that I have a particular way of seeing the world and understanding things means that other people don't have that. And that's like, oh, fours aren't wrong. They're just different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's every number. I'm like, okay, and sixes are, you know, it's fine. And fives. And it's not, it, I find a lot of freedom and I don't need to fix them. I can try and understand. Mm-hmm. Um, that's helpful. For me, I really like to talk about the superpowers of every type. I want to, I want to, mm-hmm. if anything, what I have learned to kick into gear is like, okay, how can I maximize what is the superpower? What's good? You know, what's really right. lovely and helpful about each type. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I do when I find out what, what my team members types are. I'm like, Ooh, how can I, how can I draw the, you know, good stuff out, you know? Um, and so how can I work on myself to do that? But also how can just our work environment, the things we do together, the tasks we give each other, like how can all of that work out, you know, in a way. And so I think that younger self, I would want to say to her, um, the way you think about the world isn't wrong and neither is the way this other person does. You just have are different types, or maybe you're even the same type, but you are a little, you know, different wing. You're it. You have different pieces of it that are that rise to the surface. Um, you know, so many ways, even different, even the same type can manifest, right? Yep. So it just right. has helped right. me honor how people are different, and so honor that honoring that in myself. Like I'm not broken. I'm not bad. I'm just, you know, I have these things that have made me who I am. Mm-hmm. And I can work with that, um, you know, to be the best self that I can be. And also just to like see where I am and honor where I am and not even need to be better in this moment, but just to have some empathy for myself um, and to be able to have empathy and love for somebody else as well. And so that's what I always go back to. I really cringe when I do see, you know, things where people, it feels like people are judging each other with the Enneagram. And I'm like, oh, come on. That's not what this is for. Let's, let's not do that, you know? Um, and so I just, I, that for me, when I talk to people about the Enneagram, that's what I want to do is I want to help people have more empathy, more kindness towards each other um, and really use it for the self, not so much for like, this person is bad. And you know, I just really want us to figure right. out how to use it to love each other and ourselves more. Yes. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons Mickey that Chris and I wanted to create this podcast uh, to take it deeper and to really look at it through the lens of curiosity and compassion, which the Enneagram can really cultivate when we take it seriously and listening to you. um, What I'm hearing, I think is that you're someone who has realized your own Mm -hmm. goodness 
that your beingness is good. And when ones can do that, then it just mm. flows and there's an acceptance. And when ones get there, they can be, and it's been my experience of ones, the most non-judging presence. Yeah. It's been ones in my life when I have been at my worst who just stand by me with a non-judging presence. And that's a part that people really don't understand about type one. Mm -hmm. And you know the inner critic and you know how harsh it is on you. And it doesn't mean that you criticize others. It could mean that because you know how harsh it is, you don't want another to experience that. It's almost a way of protecting others. Yeah, that's right. I, I feel like I have become less, uh, less judgmental in some ways. So I, what I've noticed that I do is a lot of comparison. Um, my teacher, Dr. Deborah Uten, calls the one the judge and has a magnifying glass and a scale as part of the image. And so what I've, what I've noticed and observed in my self-observation is that um, when I enter a room or if I meet a new person, I tend to, uh, it's kind of like, if you've ever seen the, the BBC version of Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch, mm -hmm. whom I love, yes. um, <laughs> he has a mind palace and he like, like when he sees the scene, it's like his eyes are like, and he's like checking out all the things. And I'm like, that's what I do. I know, like, I notice the clothes, the hair, the, and there's a judgment, but it's like a calculation, mm. right? Like, that's what the one mind is doing. And it's like, okay, how are things set up in here? What, are, what's happening? What? And so, mm -hmm. yes. It, and, and often I then I'm judging like, oh, do I belong here? What is happening? Where is the power? Where is the, um, you know, what needs to be fixed in this room or in this situation or what, you know, what's wrong, what's right, where are all the puzzle pieces? And it's, it's like, I can immediately go into that, right? Which is a judgment, which is why uh, my brain goes to what things need to be righted. And so sometimes that is like, oh, I'm picking out all the things that are bad, right? So that's the kind of negative stereotype or the like why it can be hard to work with a one mm -hmm. because we're immediately clued into all the things that are off, immediate. Um, I, I don't often start with like, here are all the lovely things that happened in this thing, right? I can learn to do that. And if my team is like, we're gonna do the wins and the you know losses of this thing, my brain's already on the losses. Mm -hmm. So I'm good, I got you. But I might need help if we're gonna start with the things that were that happened that were good in this, you know, event or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so because I now can look at what I do as like a Sherlock thing, as like a calculation thing is using a magnifying glass I don't judge it as bad anymore right and so even when I see other people going into that mode and like but using it on themselves right hurting themselves with it I'm like mm. oh I know what they're doing mm. and let me see if I can help them do that in a way that isn't going to harm them more so I think you're you're right in how we like ones really can help people love themselves because we figured out that we're not perfect. We're never going to reach that mark that we so desperately want. Mm. Never going to happen. So as we become free from that, we can help free other people that are then struggling with that and <laughs> say, let me just help you love yourself because it's never going to happen that you're going to love yourself because you're perfect. So you might as well love yourself 
when you're imperfect, because that's pretty much where you're going to stay. You, you know, you just gave, gave me an, a whole nother sense of the word order. When you talked about your mind doing this, I thought, is that, is that a way of ordering in a sense? Well, and I thought too, using the word calculation, I love that because it, it takes away some of the even the judgment of the word judgment, if that makes any sense. It's just, mm -hmm. a, it's just a calculation. And my wondering was like, wh why, what's your sense of why you do that? Like, what are you trying to, I'm not saying you, but you know, that the, the type, Yeah. but what's the type trying to do by doing that magnifying glass calculation? Yeah. I mean, I think it's about how can I, do the right thing in this situation or how can I again how can I how can I make all this stuff right what are the ways I can correct what are the ways I can uh restore some order help the situation like it it does kind of come down to control or fixing or saving so there's something there about needing to help you know yeah. it's it's just that like again like needing to get in and do effect change there's something there about that and uh and and i think maybe even on a belonging level there's something about like do do i fit in mm -hmm. where do i need to be fitting in here mm -hmm. uh you know i'm very into protocol so i'm like when i'm calculating like in a room full of people i'm like okay who who's in charge what who where are the elders what do I need to be like, what's the proper way? I always want to know, like, what's the dress for this restaurant? What are the <laughs> rules here? What are the, you know, like I went, I remember going salsa dancing once and being like, um, okay, how does this work? Are we allowed to ask anyone? Do the, like, how, how do you know if someone's a good salsa dancer? What do you say if someone asks you and you know you're new? And like, I was instantly, looking around the room, trying to find wow. out what the rules and the protocol were. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because I needed to know, so I wouldn't mess that up. Yeah. I didn't want to mess up the room for everybody else. I didn't want to mess it up for me. And no one would ever ask me to dance again. I, <laughs> you know, it's that like need mm -hmm. to get all the pieces in place. So everything can just go mm -hmm. as smoothly as it can possibly go with the least amount of problems happening. I've found that one of the great gifts of type one is how they articulate what the expectations are because ones so need to know what the expectations yep. are. And you just named that so clearly and beautifully. And that's one of the beautiful things too, I think about embracing your relationships with people of other types, right? Um, my closest collaborator, Reverend Jen Bailey uh, leads with a three. And so, you know, she doesn't really care what the protocol or the rules are other than that she can exceed them, um, <laughs> do better than everyone else in the room <laughs> and show them how even they were wrong because of course she like sets them properly. Um, and then again, like I said, I have a lot of fours in my life and you know, they don't care what the protocols of the room are. They're just like, boom, I'm gonna come in and do the thing and I'm gonna have a good time. Like it's, they they free me you know fours and sevens really offer me a lot of freedom that i wouldn't normally choose um and help me to go oh i'm allowed to do that uh, oh, oh, okay <laughs> so i'll do that with you because you seem to think it's okay and 
so just my relationships with people of other types offer me freedom and offer me the adventure um, of a life that I wouldn't really even think about. Mickey, um, this may be a little bit of a uh, different question, might be similar. So if there's maybe more that you want to add, but I'm thinking about like a young one. I know in your work, you mentor folks and you teach them. And so I'm thinking of a young one um, coming to you and saying, you know, Mickey, what are, what are some things you could offer to help me as I'm sort of learning to navigate who I am in the world, particularly as I in inhabit this one pattern and habit. Um, anything you might add in terms of what you might say or offer to that, that young one leader? Well, yeah, I would, I would say cultivate your inner BFF because we, you know, we talk about the inner critic a lot, um, but I, there's a, a, a podcast that I listen to called um, Affirmation Pod and she had this one called the inner critic and the inner BFF. And I was like, oh, yeah, you can have an inner BFF too. <laughs> Why not? And so I <laughs> try to cultivate my inner BFF. Um, so give them some things to say too. Um, again, I think if we try to destroy the inner critic, we actually will run into problems. I think there's, you know, it's a part of our psyche that we need. Um, I think also um, communicating with the inner, our inner child can be helpful too um, and finding out what they need. Cause I think in some ways the inner critic ev evolves to protect the inner child. So like, how can you, you know, do work with all of these like little inner beings and, um, and not try and get any of them to disappear. But how do you cultivate those relationships? I think are really important. I think the other thing that I would just say is like, is to keep your mind open. Because like I said, I started thinking I was the wrong type or thinking I was an eight and really I, I feel it more at home as a one. And I feel like um, people can, I think fairly often you hit the right triad and don't hit the right number, which is fine. Um, I don't even necessarily think that's a problem, um, which is again why studying the whole Enneagram and not one number is really helpful. But just continue to be curious about it and, and not getting stuck in, Chris, like the meme culture, like you said, like really just playing with it, having fun with it, learning, reading, um, just it's, it's an adventure. It's a way to explore something. It, it, it just, that's why I feel like it's so different from other, you know, personality typing thing. Like it's not really what it is at all. Somebody who is just getting introduced to it I'm just like, just read about all of it, explore, put it down, pick it back up. There's no rush. <laughs> you have your whole life. Just, right. Just explore. That's all. You don't have to come to any, any stopping point. There's no, this is now you have the Enneagram information. It just, you know, so that, that would actually probably be the biggest thing. Like just relax and and just explore it. That's it. We named in our very first episode, Mickey, in season one, that this is not a typing system. It's a map 
of our inner landscape that if we take it deeper, we can work to change ourselves and transform to more compassion and curiosity. So thank you for reiterating that. Yeah. Is there anything else, Mickey, that you want to share? Any Anything coming up for you? We'd love to hear any other thoughts. When I uh, decided to become certified, I um, crowdfunded it um, because I, you know, had been talking to people about the Enneagram and people were very supportive of me getting certified and, you know, people are wanting more folks of color, queer folks get certified. And I called that campaign Enneagram for the people. Mm -hmm. And that is really still how I think about my Enneagram work is that I want the Enneagram to be more accessible and more practical for people. My thing is, is nurturing, right. As a doula, as a, as a chaplain, um, I'm always kind of trying to nurture the folks that are out there doing it. So I kind of have this dream and vision of getting together a lot of these um, young and uh, and older, some of them, but um, Black, Indigenous, POC, queer, um, Enneagram teachers, uh, and like really nurturing mm. that group of folks. Um, again, mm. some of them that I have come to, to know and, and form a little group with, but I really want to nurture them. And then with some of our elders, you know, we have a few elders um, uh, that are that have been teaching for a while. And so that's kind of a dream and vision too, because um, we're out there. Um, it's, it's developing, you know? And so I just, I want people to keep thinking about that, knowing that it's out there and that we're out there and, you know, support us in whatever ways you can. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll keep doing my thing and people can be in touch with me at faithmattersnetwork.org. That's where all of my work is housed at the moment. Nice. Um, but um, I'm always cooking up new things and thinking up new ideas. So just be in touch with me on social media and through Faith Matters Network and you'll see what I'm up to. Awesome. Awesome. Mm. And, and you just named, again, one of the great gifts of type one, which is generating ideas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's that one, four, seven triad, the idea triad. Thank you. Well, Mickey, yeah. thanks for your time, uh, your wisdom, your amazing nurturing doula work in the world. Um, I'm deeply grateful. And uh, thanks for being a guest with us today. Yes. Thank you. So with heartfelt gratitude, I'm Sandra. And I'm Chris. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including the Wake Forest University Program for Leadership and Character for their financial and institutional support, for Sally Ed Morris, who created our theme music, and for Logan Greenhall, who provided website support. And great gratitude to Eric Merle for his quality editing expertise. Special thanks to the Narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders, and certainly great appreciation to all of our guests. For more information about this podcast and how to get a copy of our book that served as a companion for deepening personal and spiritual growth, visit heartoftheenneagram.com. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.